Today's program is brought to you by Jeff Peterman at the Conservator Nation. Have you not heard of it yet? Well, for those of you that don't know, the Conservator Nation is the newest project of former congressional candidate Jeff Peterman. Jeff is a strong and strident conservative and a Christian, and with his newest podcast, The Conservator Nation, he's trying to basically give people like him a voice outside of the media. Because if, if we know one thing, it's that the media is not friendly to the ideas of anyone that's not a progressive liberal. And while Jeff and I may have different points, what we need are a free market of ideas, and Jeff is offering that to you. So go ahead and check him out at Jeff Peterman-Conservator on Facebook, and also check out his website, www.conservator.com. Check it out today. Another commercial-free special episode of the Remsar Republic. It's been a while since we promoted another great libertarian product and business. Last time we had the new Agurge Brewery out there in California. This week, I've been waiting for this for a while. Uh, for those of you that don't know Robin Kerner, you're absolutely missing out. The original Blue Republican himself recently came out with a book over the summer called If You Can Keep It. And it basically goes over the giant paradigm shifts between people and how they actually view things, whether it's political or cultural and everything else in between. But I want to go ahead and, in, and introduce the book and talk about all that. That's why we have Robin Kerner actually on the show. So Robin, thank you for joining us tonight. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So Robin, why a book? Why not your show or anything else? Why did you want to write this book now at this time? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I'm not even sure I've ever been asked that question, interestingly. Um, hmm. uh, well, you know, I kind of, I guess, made my name in liberty politics through writing. It was kind of by accident that I I discovered that I had a, a bit of a talent for being able to, um, you know, communicate what I care about to people who may not be well disposed to what I care about. And uh, that was, you know, five or six years ago when I basically wrote that Blue Republican article that went viral and ended up starting the what was the largest coalition for Ron Paul's presidential candidacy in 2011, 2012, born of this article on the Huffington Post. It was a bunch of Huffington Post reading liberals that came over for Ron Paul as his biggest single coalition. So I kind of discovered that I can uh, write with an impact. And that put me... So that's one reason why I wanted to write a book. Um, and I think the other reason was I had this book in me. Since I engaged with the liberty movement after getting involved in that way through Blue Republican um, and thinking, you know, this is my calling. This is kind of my life's work, right? Contributing to liberty, um, bringing my – everybody's got a unique skill set, but bringing my unique skill set to that important endeavor. Um, I got, you know, involved quite deeply in the liberty movement and I got to see what the liberty movement has been bad at, why it keeps failing, um, why we've got a libertarian party, for example, that gets 1% of the vote and thinks that's something to be, you know, pleased about. Um, why it is that on the one hand, we claim that we live in a libertarian, uh, a libertarian founded country. Um, yet on the other hand, you know, look at this nightmarish, duopoly, um, kind of monopoly of, with two flavors, I guess, that people will keep voting for. Um, you know, how, how there's all these contradictions. Why is it that libertarians have been so ineffective? Uh, that's, 
you know, I, I, I got to see that. And I didn't do a lot with my radio show. I have a radio show, but I didn't push it. Not, um, not to get a big radio platform, but I did have a big following uh, as a writer. And people seem to, you know, a lot of people have told me that some of my articles have had a big impact on them. And so it seems like that's a medium, a good medium for me to reach large, large numbers. And it's also in many ways, the best medium simply to say something deep, substantial, considered, um, to say it carefully to say it in a way that other people can pour over it, assimilate it, and use it, I hope, to help restore the republic. So it it just seems like it was the format that, you know, that would uh, do the job. And I guess there's something, there's something about li- putting your thoughts down in a book that forces you to clarify them, that forces you to know your own mind, to get it right. Right, when I'm mouthing off on my radio show, which is called Liberty with Love with Robin Kerner, by the way, on libertytalk.fm, it's much more colloquial and informal. It's kind of stream of consciousness stuff sometimes. But this isn't that. This is something important to be taught, but to be taught in a very easily, I hope, consumable way. Um, you know, for an audience that may not be hardcore libertarians, may not be hardcore intellectuals, but could use the intellectual content of the book. Yeah, and I know it's kind of a oddball question to kind of start off with. The only reason why I ask is, I mean, your, your book was phenomenal. I have it on my bookshelf right next to Matt Kibbe's Don't Hurt People and Don't Take Their Stuff and, um, you know, The Conservative Mind. And I, I put it up there, but as I'm thinking about it, I remember what, before I started my show, I, I was just a blogger. And the thing about blogging is you're always hoping that people are actually going to read your material and mm-hmm. maybe someone will learn from it. The, the biggest problem I found, especially with a lot of millennials around my age group, um, it, it seems that with today, I think social media is part of the blame for this. People will see a picture and a title that somehow fits their current argument, and then they'll go ahead and share it on their crazy Marxist ants wall and say, see, someone's saying the exact same thing I want. Ha ha, you're stupid. So I just, right. I just feel that a lot of people are, I don't know. I mean, for example, I go to Liberty University, so I think that a lot of people are biblically illiterate. But I think a lot of people are just illiterate these days, especially when it comes to discussing the topics in your book. I think I think that's a fair comment. Uh, you know, it isn't the case, especially in the United States, that um, you're going to reach a majority of Americans with a book. Um, I was told before this was published that um, this might not be right, but this is what I was told, that if you sell 10,000 copies of a book, this is in a nation of 350 million people. That is invariably a bestseller. What? Now, I, yeah. I did, I did not know that. Well, um, you know, somebody may call in or, or maybe comment on the show or something and say, that's rubbish. But you know what? I have discovered it is hard to sell books. Um, I mean, I have, uh, I do have something of a following, um, you know, those blue Republican articles and other articles that I wrote, some of which were actually bigger than blue, the original blue Republican article were shared, let alone read, but shared by tens of thousands of people. So I have reached that many people and I've got a Facebook group with like, I don't know, 15 or 16,000 on it. That, and it's all very well, but, um, even so getting people to actually know that you've written a book <laughs> Like, and then to get them to choose that book, given all the things they already don't have time to do and to read, right? I mean, there's a load of books I want to read that I just haven't ordered because I've already got a bunch of books on my 
um, bookshelf that I haven't read yet, right? And at some point, you just go, I don't have time for this. So, you know, it is hard to sell books, and it's only going to be people who really want it that are going to buy it. But look, I think the thing about a book is, as I say, it enables you to articulate something important to maybe the minority who need to hear it or who are going to use it, right? If you're buying this book, the chances are you have the kind of mentality that um, is going to respond to it and maybe assimilate it and use it in uh, pursuit of liberty. So maybe, you know, maybe I can still have a, an impact by reaching hundreds of people through a book, even if not tens of thousands. That's remarkable. And sp- speaking of that, to that extent, um, one of my favorite parts of your book is actually the foreword written by Jeffrey Tucker. <laughs> and at one point, he called your book revisionist. It was interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I've never... Usually when someone calls something revisionist, it's not a compliment. But in your case, <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you, do you want to go ahead and explain that a little further? Yeah, you know, I loved that because the, the his forward was kind of... was so drippingly complimentary. I mean, I was so honored by it. I was just honored that he would even write, read the book and write the forward. But it was so positive. And the only word in that that's kind of really jumps out as like, oh, what does he mean by that? You know, that's not just completely gushing, he's revisionist. But it's clear from, well, from the context that what he's saying, that he really engaged my book deeply. And I kind of love that he took the risk of using that word because here's my project. My project is to get libertarians to think fundamentally differently about their libertarianism, not to concede principles of liberty, of course not, but to get a perspective on it that um, will enable them to sell it an order or two orders of magnitude more effectively than we have been selling it into our current American culture. And so, you know, what I'm suggesting is maybe the core of libertarianism isn't you know, whatever you think as a fervent libertarian is the most important bit of the philosophy. Maybe it's the way we connect the philosophy to the human experiences of people who have no interest in libertarianism or even politics at all. Because what we're going to do if we're going to save this nation and its founding principles and our liberties is move the dial of mainstream culture. We have to move mainstream culture and then following that politics because politics always follows culture. Um, We've got to do that. So just because uh, you got into libertarianism, let's say through the monetary system and the creature from Jekyll Island, which is pretty close to how I got into it, right? That's all very well for me and I might be intellectually excited about that and I might be able to explain how everything, or think I can explain, how everything follows in the monetary system. Like, I don't know. I've heard libertarians try and do this. But they're completely, (laughs) they're completely losing, they're alienating, ironically, um, the people they're trying to persuade because there's no common ground there. So what I'm kind of asking liberty folks to do is say, what is it in your liberty, in the liberties that you care about in your philosophy that is also deeply human? Um, and I, you know, one of the things that a lot of interviews have, interviewers have asked me to talk about, and I think this speaks to specifically what uh, resonated with Tucker and why he said revisionist is that I said that, um, kind of a fundamental basis or way of understanding liberty that I think would be effective in this way. And also true is that liberty, the politics of liberty or liberty, um, rather liberty as a political system is the politics of love. If you made a political of system out of love, whatever that would mean. And I explore that it would be one that 
was all about, motivated by liberty. Liberty is the politics of love. Why? Because love says to its object, I want for you what you want for yourself. Liberty as a political system says to all of the objects, all of the citizens, we the people, we want for ourselves, we want for you what you want for yourselves, whoever you may be, right? So there's a deep correspondence or even equivalence there. One, a political realization of the other. Liberty, a political realization of love. Now, that's a really powerful idea. It's, it's another way into liberty that is so much more compelling than handing uh, to non-libertarians, right, to the average Joe, um, than handing them a copy of The Creature from Dead Jekyll Island. Exactly. And I, I love the way you bring that up. Liberty is the politics of love. It's the philosophy of love. Um, something I do whenever I'm, I'm a staffer for a campaign, primarily whenever I'm a policy analyst or I'm a campaign manager for a candidate, before the campaign even really starts, I give my candidates some, you know, some reading material because I want them to understand how I think I want help them get like a pretty broad perspective of things, but I make them read your blue Republican article because far too often everyone just wants to work within their given social groups. Conservatives want to be of conservatives. Libertarians want to be of con with libertarians. Progressives want to be of progressives. But the thing about your book, I mean, that your original article, you know, the original Blue Republican article brings up, and I've heard you say this in your interviews with Johnny Rocket and Mark Claire from the Lions of Liberty, but you bring this up in your book subtly and sometimes outright at times, is that everyone should be seen as an ideological ally. Mm. And I really hope yeah. that more people, especially if in the Libertarian Party, saw that. Because often we try and bring, oh, we're fiscally conservative or we're socially liberal. But often we don't <laughs> build bridges within the areas of policy that we should. Yeah, and I just, I mean, you've stated it even more strongly than I do in a way, because I wouldn't even go as far as to say somebody is an ideological, all people are ideological allies, period. What I say is you can always find points of agreement. You can always find ideological common ground. Yeah, I mean, there are always uh, opportunities for that. Right, right. So you may have to look for it. It's not like a broad, you know, overall, this is an ideological ally. You know, of, of course, that isn't true. Um, I, I know that's not what you meant. But just to be clear. Um, yes, you can find the common ground with everyone. And if you, um, and you can in nearly every case, especially if you share a culture, so if, if we're talking to Americans, you can find some uh, political common ground. Even like I'm a you know, libertarian guy, I can find it with a socialist. I do it on a routine basis. I can do it. And if I can't find it with specific policy, I can find it in the intent behind the policy. I can find a moral common ground. And then you know what, if that's too difficult, you can go to the common ground in shared human experience. And in a way, that is why I push liberty as a politics of love, because love is a profoundly important, profoundly uniting and profoundly human experience. So it's amazing how that kind of, um, if, if you start there, if you start in your shared humanity, you make having a political discussion, being persuasive politically, so much easier because you avoid the starting with the conflict, starting with the opposition, right? Um, and a lot of a successful, uh, that you could say political proselytizing, is simply not triggering the opposition, not getting the person you're speaking to to think, oh, he's just said that, or he believes this other thing, therefore I can stick him in this box marked other, right? It's 
you know, I can now discount everything he says because I know he's a Trump supporter and I'm a Clinton person, or I know he's a Clinton supporter, but I'm a Trump person, or, you know, I know he's a crazy libertarian and I'm not. Um, you've got to not do that, right? It's like walking through a minefield. Don't, don't stand on the mine. And usually so many times when I see libertarians and other folks making political arguments, they start off basically with the premise, you're wrong, I'm right, let me show you why you're wrong. And that means that the person you're speaking to have all their emotional and psychological defenses up. And I make a great play when I teach candidates and I give like whole day seminars on political communication that as most salesmen know, you don't win a customer for an idea or a product, right? Political philosophy or whatever it may be by telling the guy he's wrong and you're right, because then you're setting up a zero sum game. The whole point about finding the common ground is identifying the shared goal or the shared principle and then finding a way to go in a direction together towards a solution, right? So um, it's essentially collaborative rather than oppositional, um, which kind of is the opposite of what superficially our politics is sold to us as being. But psychologically, it's the only way forward. Robin, I'm just curious do you think that libertarians are naturally pessimistic people? Hmm. I have met many libertarians who are, but I'm an optimist. And I, I know, and I would say, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because they can be often pessimistic with respect to where we are in our politics. Look at everything we've lost. That makes complete sense. So they're kind of practical pessimists. But on the other hand, if you are a libertarian, if you believe that our way of organizing society should be to let human beings flourish, to be who they are, to express themselves as highly po as possible. You've got to say in some respect, that's a kind of spiritual optimism. So I don't know. I guess it depends how you want to define your terms. Gotcha. Robin, if people want to go check out your book, follow you on social media and everything else, how can they do so? Thank you. Okay, so the best way to buy a copy of the book or even to read that forward by Jeffrey Tucker if they haven't made up their mind is to go to the website ifyoucankeepit.us, ifyoucankeepit.us. That site is dedicated to my book and if you order there um, – you will get a personally signed copy. I will personally sign the copy. You can get it on Amazon, um, but I recommend go to ifyoucankeepit.us. And also be careful. If you don't buy it at that site, be aware that at the same time, another book by exactly the same title came out. Nothing to do with me. So be careful. Make sure you get the right one. This one we're talking about is by me, Robin Kerner, K-O-E-R-N-E-R. -E -E you can follow me on Twitter, at rkerner. So that's at R-K-O-E-R-N-E-R. -E -E um, and if you're interested in the kind of things that we've been talking about here and and indeed the thrust of the book follow me at my new facebook group which is art of political persuasion do a search on art of political persuasion and or you may want to join the still going blue republican facebook group which is a huge community as i said 15 16000 um so that's another place you can check me out and i did already mention my newly rebranded uh, radio show used to be called Blue Republican with Robin Kerner. Now it's Liberty with Love with Robin Kerner, uh, which you can download um, or you can listen to live at the weekends on libertytalk.fm. Mr. Robin Kerner, author of the new book, If You Can Keep It. Thank you for so much for coming on the program. It was an absolute blast having you on. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Folks, go ahead and check it out and definitely go to the website 
thatenzo.us. I got my, you know, autograph book from Robin. Uh, it's it's proudly on my bookshelf here in Lynchburg, Virginia. Go ahead and check it out. As always, be good to your neighbor, love your family, and it's never too late to do the right thing. Good night, America. Stay connected to Liberty's Rabble Rouser on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with the latest episodes, blogs, and other available content. What are you waiting for? Thank you.